Hello and welcome to Mr. Mar's History Podcast. Google Mr. Mar History to get more help with Nationals Higher and Advanced Higher History. In today's lesson, we will consider the different ways and changes which helped make Britain a democracy. Before the 1850s, Britain certainly could not be considered democracy. A democracy would be the type of country where all adults have an equal right to vote, where people have an equal chance of getting elected as an MP, where there are secret ballots, where voters have a range of political choices, and where there is free speech and also equal representation within the country. By any measure, Britain in the 1800s does not meet this title. However, changes were beginning. In 1832, a major piece of legislation known as the Great Reform Act was passed. This act gave middle-class men the vote for the first time. Although it was in relative terms only a small change, it was the start of something big. Over the next hundred years, there would be further changes which would change Britain into the country we know today. The first issue that we will consider is that of equal voting. There were four key laws which were passed between 1867 and 1928 which helped introduce equal voting to Britain. This, in simple terms, means that all adults can vote on an equal basis, regardless of their gender or income. In 1867, the Second Reform Act was passed. This gave the vote to skilled working class men for the first time, and it meant that one third of men in the UK could now vote. Men who owned property or paid rent of £10 or more per year had the right to vote. This was in fact known as the leap in the dark because giving working class the vote was such a major change. And although it was a step forward, two thirds of men were still excluded, as well as all women. The 1884 Third Reform Act introduced further changes and gave more opportunities for working class men to vote. All men in towns and cities gained a vote on an equal basis, that is, if they were property owners and paid £10 or more in rent each year, meaning that two thirds of men could now vote but obviously, again, still leaving out one-third of men and all women. By 1918, some of these issues had been changed. The Representation of the People Act in 1918, sometimes known as the Fourth Reform Act, gave the vote to all men aged 21 plus, regardless of their income or any other qualification. Another major change, though, was that for the first time ever, women could vote, but not all. Women had to be over 30 and married to a voter and meet other criteria. This is a major step forward, meaning that all men were now treated equally, but women would still not. And this would not happen for another 10 years until 1928 with the introduction of the Equal Franchise Act, sometimes called the Fifth Reform Act, that meant that all men and women aged 21 plus had the right to vote. Some people do criticise this though on the basis that 21 in many ways was a relatively adult age, particularly at this point where people were leaving school at age 14, and it would not change to allow 18-year-olds to vote until 1967. Another key feature of a democracy is that of equal representation. In simple terms, this means that all adults should have an equal chance to influence politics. No one person should have more opportunities to take part. In 1867, with the Second Reform Act, and again in 1885 with the Redistribution of Seats Act, this began to address some of these problems. One issue was that 
many areas had more MPs than perhaps their population warranted, at the same time as areas with high population did not have enough. In 1885, all seats with less than 15,000 voters were abolished, and in both 1867 and 1885, seats were taken away from areas with low populations and redistributed to elsewhere. For example, in this time, Scotland, Wales and the northern cities of England gained more MPs. However, in relative terms, rural areas were still overrepresented, having more MPs than the population they had warranted. Not only this, rural areas generally had more people with higher incomes, and this meant that poorer areas had less MPs, giving them less chance to influence the government. Another key problem is about the structure of British democracy. The UK is split into the Houses of Parliament, which is the House of Commons, where people are voted in, and the House of Lords, where people have their position. This means, very often, that the House of Lords, unelected, was able to stop the wishes of people who had been voted for. The 1911 Parliament Act aimed to change this. It said that the House of Lords could no longer stop laws from the House of Commons, but they could only delay them for up to two years. And this changed to one year in 1948. The House of Lords was also blocked from stopping so-called money bills, such as the budget. This was a major step forward and now meant that the elected part of the Houses of Parliament had the greatest influence. But it does mean that lords who were unelected could still delay government laws. Another key feature of a democracy is that of secret ballots. If secret ballots do not exist, then voters can be bullied or intimidated into voting a certain way. For example, an employer might threaten to sack them, or a landlord could threaten to evict them from their home. Corruption, where people's votes were bought, was also a problem as well. In 1872, secret ballots were introduced with the Ballot Act. This meant that voters could now make their own decisions about who to vote for and not be influenced. The greatest evidence that this had a significant impact was in 1880, where most landlords in Ireland, uh, who were MPs, lost their seats, now that voters could make their own decisions without being intimidated. However, in smaller rural areas, it was possible to work out how large groups of voters had worked. For example, if most people in a particular area worked for a certain employer, and also, corruption was not fully wiped out because voters could now take bribes from both sides and still vote the way they wanted. Another key feature of a democracy is that of having a range of political parties to choose from. If there is only one or two options for people to vote for, then they can have very little opportunity to make a different decision and force politicians to listen to them. Britain in the 1800s was dominated by two political parties the Whigs and the Tories, that later became the Liberals and the Conservatives. Many people, especially those working-class voters with the vote, felt that they were not properly represented or listened to by these groups. In 1900, this started to change. The Taft Vale legal case seemed to make it impossible for trade unions to strike, thus removing workers' rights. As a result of this, trade unions began to support the newly formed Labour Representation Committee as a political force. The Labour Representation Committee would change its name in 1906 to the Labour Party. This gave a clear option for working class voters and also extended the major parties in British politics from two to three, a clear step forward towards democracy. However, in relative terms, this does not fully give a range of political choices. For one, three major parties rather than two is an improvement, but only a small one. 
And in particular, if you were a working class voter that happened to disagree with one of Labour's policies, you still had limited opportunities. For example, the early Labour Party favoured temperance, which was uh, an anti-alcohol stance, and many voters would not have supported this. Another key feature of a democracy is that everyone should be able to stand for election as an MP and have an equal chance of election. This does not guarantee their election, but it does mean they have an equal chance to put their wishes forward. The reality was, though, that for many, many years, it was almost impossible for poorer people to do this. Until 1858, you were only allowed to be an MP if you were in fact a landowner who received an income from your land. This ruled out the vast majority of the population and, in fact, was largely unfollowed, with as many as half the MPs in the 1850s simply lying about this. One example was Edward Glover, who was elected as an MP, but then removed and imprisoned after it transpired he did not have the required land. The Property Qualification for Members of Parliament Act, passed in 1858, ended this need. Another problem in allowing anyone to become an MP was the costs of elections, and in particular what the money was spent on. In 1883, the Corrupt and Illegal Practices Act aimed to introduce election limit spending and also to define exactly what was acceptable to purchase. The limit in each constituency was £710 for 2,000 voters and then £40 for each additional 1,000 voters. It also banned spending on things such as food and alcohol, which was simply used as a form of bribery. Another major improvement came in 1911, another part of the Parliament Act. MPs for the first time ever were to be paid. They received £400 per year, which was higher than the average wage at the time. And this meant that anyone could now afford to give up their job if elected as an MP, which previously working class people had been unable to do. The Secret Ballot Act of 1872 also helped because it meant that voters could now vote for the candidate they wished rather than being influenced, and this allowed more working class candidates to be chosen. However, even after all of these changes, it still did not make it entirely equal. It was still very expensive to campaign, potentially running into thousands of pounds per election, and most people could not afford this. In addition, the two main political parties in the 1800s, the Liberals and the Conservatives, were generally most likely to select people from welfare backgrounds. Another key feature of a democracy should be that of free speech. This means that people can spread the ideas that they believe. In practice, Britain had no laws against free speech, but there were certain obstacles towards it happening. In 1855, newspaper stamp duty, a tax on newspapers, was abolished. This made newspapers cheaper and it allowed more people to buy and read them, meaning that more people could find out about the major events of the day. This had a significant effect because in 1856 there were just under 800 newspapers in the UK, but by 1886 this had increased to more than 2,000. However, although more newspapers could be bought and read, this does not mean that they focused entirely on serious issues. Very often, as with nowadays, a lot of the information given was pure gossip, and thus simply the fact of being able to read a newspaper did not necessarily improve people's understanding of politics. Another important feature, which changed people's ability to find out information about what was happening in politics, came in 1872, or 1870 in the rest of the UK. In 1872 in Scotland, all young people, that's aged 5 to 13, were required to receive a primary level education. This focused in particular on writing and numeracy. 
And clearly, the more that people could read, the more opportunities they had to read either newspapers, pamphlets, leaflets, and other information which was distributed. They could also write and spread their own ideas as well. However, although this certainly helped in many ways, the fact was it was only to a primary level, so the general impact on people's overall education was limited. Not only this, many children continued to work whilst they were at school, so-called half-timers, and again this limited the impact of the education they received. A final feature which helped the growth of free speech was the growth of the railways. During the 1800s, a rail network began to spread across Britain. This not only allowed newspapers to be sold across the country, but it also let political speakers travel to different places and speak to a range of different speakers.